Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Magic and the Other Guy. And you join Kevin and me outside my home as ever on the banks of Lake Wiley in absolutely gorgeous sunny spring conditions, Kevin. Yes, I think picturesque is the word for the day. It is absolutely fantastic. And for me, um, being born in England, this is perfect temperature for a summer's day. It's the thermometer is registering 80 degrees. I imagine it's just actually a little under that, mid-70s. But if you could arrange for Charlotte to remain like this for the rest of the year, I'd be absolutely delighted with it. I think we should send an email to the town council or something. <laughs> yes. Saying, hit the pause button. On the weather app, hit the pause button. Yeah. I love living in Charlotte. It's wonderful. And living down on the lake here is a real blessing. That said, however, and I'm sure we've mentioned it before, the June, July, August months of North Carolina and Charlotte with that incredibly high humidity just don't sit well with me at all. The rest of the year is fantastic. However, episode 30, I don't know what we're going to be talking about. You do, Kevin. So kick us off. What are we talking about today? Well, weather actually actually kind of ties in, I guess, in a way. Oh. This is the time of year when schools are starting to wrap up. You know, every, every system kind of has their own schedule in the region. But schools are wrapping up, and that leads to summer vacation. So, yes. looking back on summer vacations, what what you did as a child when school ended and, you know, what the schedule was <clears> and, <throat> and such like that. Yes, yeah, so you're going to have a far greater grip on these facts than I will because you're still involved with it now, being a very decent family guy. With me being a bachelor, I'm kind of out of touch with what happens around schools. But my memory of growing up in England, our summer holidays summer vacations, summer holidays. I think we're around six or eight weeks long. Okay. And uh, most of that, again, something we've chatted about many times, most of that I used to spend on my own camping out in the, in the, in the forest, the pine woods and the oak forest, the chestnut woods of uh, the manor in England. Yeah, yeah, you just kind of saw lesser of your mates until, yeah, you, until really, you returned, really. Really, because you're so frankly, far yeah. geographically from each other. It correct. Was, it was really a period of, of, of isolation, but I was I was okay with that. And again, I could get down to the village, but um, it, you know, it was a day's trip for me to do that. Really, you know, I did do it. I did go down to friends, um, but most of the summer holidays were I spent on my own. But again, thinking about this gorgeous weather that we're having now, this beautiful clear blue sky. And I just said when we started chatting a little earlier that this reminds me of a, of a summer's day in England. It absolutely does. And my memory of those summer vacation weeks in England were exactly like this. And I just spend every waking hour as far as possible, as much as possible, out of the house. And would only if I wasn't camping out in the in the woods and staying overnight, I would come back just as it was getting twilight, and have what we used to call tea uh, dinner, and then sit down and watch the TV for a while or read, of course, and uh, and then. But the days just seem to last forever. When you're a kid, those days just seem like now. You know, approaching sixty, a day has gone in a heartbeat. Boom. Well, there, yeah. you know, there's a day, and there's a week, and there's a year gone. But as a kid, those summer holidays seem to last forever. So have you. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, now, did they, did they have daylight savings time or anything? Like, were the were the nights really light until a good oh yeah deep part a- of the evening? Absolutely, yes. But, but uh, I'll just butt in here and say yeah. But most especially during my time in France, those long summer evenings in France, right down near Cognac Bordeaux, 
the evenings would hardly get dark and it would get twilight but you wouldn't really get a really dark night in the summer before it started to get light again wow yeah yeah you know here of course being in in this this area of the country you know it's about on a on a good night when it's deep summer you're light till about nine o'clock yeah yeah and of course it ebbs to that right now it's it's getting you know deeper and deeper longer and longer as we're getting towards summer but uh, yeah those long nights of you know once dinner was over you had plenty of time to go out and That's still right. do things it's like know. another day after after tea or dinner you go out and start again yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and too i mean it's you, know, you probably noticed that you know at the the tv schedules and stuff like that you know used to summer was all reruns you know they were all wrapped up with their season so you weren't really missing a lot either you didn't feel like you know you, of course you don't want to be confined by the the tube right but uh you want to tell you what a lot of us were i mean we used to I mean, my mum and dad used to watch tv like a religion every evening and when it took me a while to when I started to get away to read but yeah every time I went into the lounge into into the sitting room dad would always be watching the tv always. was there was it kind of the same thing did they always have new programming during the summertime or did they change a little bit I my memory of tv growing up in England as a kid it was never as you just talked about it here in the States. We're always talking about seasons, and you're not missing much because the seasons are, are finished and they're in rerun. I don't remember that structure to British TV, English TV. I mean, I might be wrong there, but uh, again, for, for, saying, for saying I've worked in TV for 20 years, my knowledge of TV, uh, current TV, is fairly awful. <laughs> I must, must apologise about that, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we would wrap up, you know, dinner and dad may, you know, piddle in the yard or mom might do the same. They might do a little bit of little, gar- you know, gardening, tr- pruning and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I may be something with my bike or skateboard or who knows what. Have the dog out. Skippy the beagle we've discussed. You know, yeah. he may be out there and we just make an evening until it got, you know, got uh, dark to too dark to do anything. But in those summer vacation holidays from school. Were you always at home, or did you always go to the same place away for a summer vacation holiday? How did that work? That changed. Uh, well, it changed when we moved to Florida because when, we, when I first, you know, uh, was was born in, in the house in, in Knoxville. Yeah. You know, we really never had anything particularly we did in the in the summer. Uh, but once we moved to uh, Florida, we came back every summer, each year for at least three weeks. Okay. So and we stayed with my sister and, and her family. Yeah. So there was always the a good chunk of that summer vacation was spent back in Tennessee. Yeah. Which, you know, again, we hauled that trailer up and dad had whatever tools he needed. We'd, we'd make a trip down to the lake house, not really enjoying it, more or less a maintenance trip, you know, seeing what needed to be done, mow the grass, uh, do those kind of things. But we would stay up there. They'd catch up with friends. Uh, sometimes there would be a project at my sister's house. Like one time they painted the house, and another time they may be working on some landscaping. Or yeah, I remember one year. One year though, mom and dad did. They planned their first Hawaii trip, uh, oh, and that wow. was this was probably this was '84 because the Summer Olympics were going on at the same time. Okay. So, and, which made it interesting because they flew from Tennessee, but they stayed part of their time in California because they had a cousin there. And all the hubbub of the Los Angeles Olympics was happening at yeah. the same time. So I remember that vividly. So I just, you know, hung out with my sister and her family while they were in Hawaii for, I guess, a week and a half now? Something, something like that. Yes. And one, one, one question I've been longing to ask you, and this is a perfect example. Now we're talking about summer vacations and, and holidays. We never used to have over in England the summer camps that I see referenced on American TV shows all the while. Like we go from school and you'd go to 
You'd go away to camp somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I never did that either. Yeah. That's, and it's one of those, I just never even, it was never brought up. It was never offered. Yeah. Yeah, they're sleepaway camps. Sleepaway. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah where, yeah, where yeah. you may, you know, a parent will send you, and I guess you're there, I don't know what the average time is, but I would say it's at least two, maybe three weeks, because it may need to be worth the time of going. A week wouldn't be worth it, probably. Yeah. But yeah, you go away to a camp, and they do... All, All these of exciting things on TV. Correct. It looks great because you're canoeing, <laughs> you're doing archery, you're doing trails, yeah. you're doing horseback riding, swimming. Yeah. Uh, no, that was just never even discussed in the house. Really. So. But they also have day camps. Like you know, you could easily have signed up to attend tennis camp for two weeks, where you go every day and get well, your tennis just, training. You've just answered my next question, which was going to be if you if you were particularly into a certain subject or a certain sport you could go to a camp to learn to be a better tennis player or a better uh, baseball pitcher or whatever it would be you yeah. could do that right yeah yeah, yeah. and i think cool. part of it was that you know from long before i was born my mom didn't work outside the home so she was a homemaker and she was there I, so there was somebody to take care of me all the time yeah so it wasn't like they needed someone to quote babysit or, or handle me yeah. <laughs> while while yeah, uh, yeah, while yeah, they sure, were I get it. so it was yeah. just more of me doing my own thing and hanging out with friends in the neighborhood. So I'm assuming that was another reason for the the camps we're discussing here in the, in the United States to exist was simply you know, the kids are on a holiday. What are we supposed to do because we're working? What do, what do we do with the kids? Yeah, I, being a dad now, I can say it definitely falls into place. So yeah, it's like yeah. we need something to keep you active. You know, keep you you know entertained while we need to do what we need to do. But you got to think, I mean, those summer camps have been going on for many decades. And, it, you know, more and more, both spouses were working in the workforce. Yeah. Whereas in the old days, there wasn't as much. Usually it was the father and the mother, you know, would stay home. I but, must say, I, I, I always looked over with a great sense of envy to the United States to see these summer camps. And I'm sure many of our listeners will, will have two different views on them. They'll either be, well, those camps I remember being fantastic and I'd love them to continue, or I hated every single hour. <laughs> I dreaded every summer because I was being shipped off. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but certainly from the outside, looking in, the idea of uh, that woodland setting. But again, you know that I like camping and the outdoors life, but the idea of that woodland setting and the and the canoes on the lake and uh, the campfire, and you know, that always appealed to me. It looked just fantastic fun from start to finish. Well, and it must have it must have been affected too that none of my friends did it either. I mean, I can't remember any of anybody I knew that did it. That you know, oh well, you're heading off to camp. Yeah, I'll see really. you in three weeks or whatever, yeah. which might have spurred me to go. Well, you know, if Jason's going, so there's right. something we should look into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess, you know, again, nobody I closely knew was doing it either. So it yeah. just wasn't a thing, I guess, in my neighborhood or close people that I knew. Yeah. Well, you've, you've taught me something there. I always say that whenever we have these conversations, I always end up learning something from you, but most especially about life in the States, because I always thought it was almost compulsory that all children went to these camps. Again, but I'm basing this on my knowledge of, of watching TV. TV over in England, but I thought everybody went to these camps every summer. It was almost like a compulsory thing to do, but no, I guess not. No, no. Yeah. Uh, now, something else that, that just spurred my memory of this, and it wasn't really something that I attended, but a lot of churches do what they call vacation Bible school. Okay. And that's not, of course, a sleepaway type thing, but it's your church may do it for a week or maybe two weeks um, where the kids can come for the day. Yeah. And, you know, they, they learn lessons about the Bible and such like that, related yeah. to your religion. Okay. And they play fun and games. And, and two, you know, it's something you, you pay a fee for. So I, they're getting, you know, educated in that realm, and they're also 
being babysat also. Yes. I do remember when I was a teenager, um, we were getting ready. I helped the church out because all the older kids helped with the the vacation Bible school one year. I, I volunteered to help, and we got it all set. I mean, we spent days of that first part of vacation getting it ready and all that. But my my vacation that we were going to Tennessee fell right just as it was beginning. So I just got ready for them to have the kids, yeah. and then I had to leave. But it was fun anyway, and I knew I, you know, I just knew I wasn't going to be there for that part of it. But it was a lot of fun getting it ready. We we're setting up games for them and getting the rooms yeah. ready. And well, you're an well, organizer, aren't you? See, you like to do that. You like to organize things. Yeah. It's, 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 it's part of your makeup. Yes, I'm sure that would have been fun. And you just jogged my memory here. And I never went to these summer camps. But I used to be, um, as a teenager, 12, 13, 14, that sort of age, I was in the Army Cadets and uh, of the Royal Anglian Regiment. It was an infantry regiment. And uh, there was a summer camp that we used to go to through the cadets. So I did used to go away okay, on, on, hearing yeah, on these annual military camps. I mean, there were army camps. Um, and go on exercise and different things for, for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think for about two weeks. And I do remember I, I, I had great fun on those camps too. Because again, it was all outdoor activities. And I, I enjoyed that very much. It was second nature to me. So. We will be camping out on Aldershot, for example, which has been a military training ground in, in England seemingly forever. I mean, the troops of the Great War would have trained at Aldershot, and there's lots of rifle ranges down there, and acres and acres and acres of forest to camp in, and, and um, trails to walk along, and all that sort of thing. So, And then we would also stay at um, decommissioned army barracks, so they weren't in the best condition, but I guess at the time, in the 60s and 70s, a lot of these camps were still, they were basically mizzenarts, but they were, they were, although they were closed down, they were maintained, I suppose, just in case of an emergency where soldiers would need to occupy them again. So our regiment, as all the cadets, all the army cadets, would stay in these, in these um, kind of decommissioned camps. But again, my memory of it, it was just great fun. It was just an adventure. What great memory for me was we were out in the field and we were at a rifle range with two two rifles and we were shooting down range for most of the morning and then lunch would arrive with the cooks would arrive with trucks and trailers and set up these huge kitchens and I was just amazed at the logistics of it and great big vats of beef stew would suddenly appear from nowhere but my memory of it is not oh my it was just an awful experience the food was extremely good quality wow, i was just good. amazed i was just amazed that the army cooks could do this at the drop of a hat you're like boom there's a kitchen and 15 minutes later 300 people had been catered for i thought this is a, this is a great example of the military doing what the military doing very well yeah so, uh, and you went every year? Every, well, every year, yeah. Sort of, I remember 12, 13, 14, 15. That yeah. sort of, yeah. That sort same, of the same uh, friends would, would attend? Uh, Pretty much Kind of the same so. group I mean, each time? I mean, the, the Army Cadets, a little bit like boot camp training for the real military. Parents would sometimes send their children to the Army Cadets to give them a different experience of life or to make them more independent or self-sufficient. And you could tell instantly within a couple of weeks that some kids were going to take to this and some kids weren't. Oh, I can totally see that. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, you could just, and you, you know, some of the, so we talked about um, in another one of our episodes, 
the essential need for common sense. Some folks have got it, and some haven't got it. Some are accident prone, and some aren't accident prone. But boy, oh boy, I mean, I can remember even as a young kid, 12, let's say 12, 13, looking round at some of my colleagues in the army cadets thinking, the, the, these kids should not be here. They're going to have an accident. Something awful is going to happen. You know? Well, if you're going to end up being a MacArthur, a Patton, or an Eisenhower, I think your your proclivities are going to start showing early on. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's just things like an, an awareness. I, get, I don't know what it is. It's Common sense is a difficult thing to explain, isn't it? It's just an awareness of you have to be aware of what is happening around you all the time. I mean, most especially on a rifle range for obvious reasons, but I do remember some kids simply couldn't get it in their mind, couldn't couldn't understand the potential danger of handling firearms. Oh. I can't explain it, it's yeah. not there. I mean, not all of them, a small minority I'm talking about, but everybody was well supervised, so it wasn't a great risk. But some kids would be given a firearm and would then start to turn around with it towards his colleagues behind, you know, like unaware that you always point a rifle downrange. It yes. doesn't go anywhere but downrange. Exactly. But how do you not get that? You know, and it used to drive me crazy, and I had no sort of responsibility other than just trying to help colleagues. Like, point it downrange or at the ground, but don't point it anywhere else. But some kids got it and some didn't, you know. Oh, 100%. Really. Mm. And the same with, same with anything. The same with lighting a campfire or putting it up a tent. Some of us would grasp instantly that if you're trying to build a campfire, you need to keep the materials of the campfire dry or fine dry materials. Some kids couldn't ever see that, you know, tried to, try to light it with damp straw uh -huh. and getting frustrated because they couldn't figure out why the campfire wasn't going. You know, it's odd, odd things, but it was straight off subject a little bit. But yes, that's my memory of summer camps. It's not the wonderful summer camps that I used to see you guys get up to by watching TV in England, but military-style camps. Well, again, I don't get lumped into the you guys because I never got to go, but uh, <laughs> never even, again, thought about it until later on. Yeah. But yeah, today there's just so many, uh, you know, there's those kind of camps, and then there's so many of the day ones. I mean, it can be anything. It can be gymnastics camp. It can be, yes. again, uh, tennis camps, I'm sure, are very popular in this, and there's just all kinds of different you know, programs. Yeah, and we never, we never had, in my experience, we never had that possibility we would never go away to a camp to study to become a better golfer for example i mean golf in england back in the 60s and 70s was such an elitist sport anyway that 99 percent of the populace could never afford to play golf even if they wanted to and i used to have a, a right where the manor house the the grounds of the manor house where i grew up i mean literally right next door was a beautiful 18-hole golf course. Oh, really? Yes. So I could often, I'd walk through the woods and stand on my side of the fence, sort of looking out over these beautiful manicured uh, fairway. But n never in a thousand years did I think it would be cool to play that. It was, it was a bit like when I've talked about before, the idea of going to college was going to happen to other people. Um, none of my friends were playing, playing golf, that's for sure. Was it pretty you busy? It was through. very, yes, it was very busy, but um, I never got the impression that folks playing golf in England in the 60s and 70s ever really enjoyed themselves. It just seems to be... I, you know, I would stand there listening to them and they'd be shouting and 
screaming at each other and you play away, where's the ball going, watch what you're doing, and you know, where's the fun in this? No one seems to be actually having fun. Not when we play golf. You're pretty good at golf and I'm very terrible yeah. at it. But I, we always have fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, <laughs> and I love to play golf with you. One of your great lines in golf that always that always uh, sticks with me is forward progress. Providing the ball is going roughly the direction of the pin, that's forward progress and we're playing golf. It'll eventually get there. <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, that reminded me a little bit. We, growing up, a lot of the time was spent at the pool. Okay. Uh, my, my parents were, we lived in the Dean Hill subdivision and we were connected, you know, on the other end of the, the subdivision, the property butted up to Dean Hill Country Club. Yeah. And we, we, mom and dad got a membership for, I guess, social and the pool because they liked to do like some of the dinners and stuff like that. They weren't there all the time, but they would attend certain functions at the, at the, the place. But the golf, the golf thing was never part of it. Dad, A, didn't have enough time, I don't think, to play. Yeah. And B, it just wasn't in his repertoire of what he wanted to do all the time. Right. So he never had a golf membership, but mom definitely wanted the pool. So I can remember so many afternoons spent at the pool. We would, you know, dad was at work and I was on school break. And again, mom was a homemaker. So we would pile in the car, head over to the Dean Hill pool for the day and uh, hang out. Mom would lay on a lounge chair and I would go play. And I would end up really out of a couple of friends. I mean, I'm sure there's more I can remember. I remember a, another kid named Kevin and one named Casey. And they were all, I wouldn't see him the rest of the year. It was only when we saw each other in the summer because we went to different schools. Yeah, okay. But we would always reconnect at the pool. That's great. And, you know, you'd play shark where a bunch of people jump off one side of the pool and try to make your way off to the other without getting tagged. Oh, okay. And, yeah. yeah. There was the two diving boards on the side that were smaller, and then there was the high dive. Yeah. And I remember, I still remember the ladder to go up to the high dive seemed so, you know, just <laughs> treacherous. It was straight up and down, not yeah. even an angle. Yeah, I can and imagine it, yeah. So I didn't do a whole lot on that, but you generally just work your way up there and then get to the edge and just run and just flail your way down feet first. Um, and I'm, th- I'm thinking you took to swimming fairly early because you're, you, you love water sports. Oh, yeah, yeah. I still, I still remember my first, barely remember, but Mom took me to uh, swim lessons at the YMCA. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Earliest memory, so they made sure I could swim. Yes, but, my, my, my dad was the same. He, um, my mum could not swim, never swam a, in her life. Uh, but Dad instilled in all of us, the, his kids, the necessity to swim i think he saw it as a survival skill especially when we're out oh, yeah. in the country you know yeah, it it's like you've got to swim to of course you've got to swim uh, and again i i can't remember my earliest recollections of being in a pool but i've always felt at home in water i've never been afraid of water in any way um and i could make dad taught us to swim at a very early age and one thing I was always very good at, and to an extent I still am now, even though you know, I'm getting close to 60, is I've always been able to hold my breath underwater for quite a long while. I've always had good lung capacity. And I think a lot of that, again, stems from always cycling as a kid and being out in the woods and walking a lot. And So I've always had, you know, thankfully, touch wood, healthy lungs. But one of my party tricks, if you like, at school taking part in our swimming lessons and we would occasionally have 
competitions of, of swimming, such as it was in comprehensive education in England, and we would swim a length. But no matter what the designated stroke would be, so let's say it was that awful butterfly, which to me never makes any sense as a, as a way to travel across water. <laughs> it just looks so painful. But if you looked at the butterfly stroke, and it's again, it's so sort of unnatural to me, I would always volunteer for my house and my group to, to take part in that because I could dive in the water and stay underwater for about 75 to 80% of the land. You just stay submerged just, until just you popped up. Huh? Basically just cheat the system. And then come back up at the last minute at a couple of strokes and I'd be at the end of the length. And uh, so, I was, you know, I was always given that responsibility. Oh, Matchett will always do the crazy strokes because he'll just stay underwater and, and just swim breaststroke underwater. Yeah. Well, I, I, again, I remember those afternoons and there was this, you know, the, the pool was kind of a rectangle shape with a little curve at the end where the uh, the diving boards were. And I just remember the, the vastness of it. And then at the other end, there was a half circle kiddie pool, which was all of a foot deep. Oh, okay. And it had a fountain in the middle yeah, okay. that would kind of just spew water. And there was a little slide into that. And then there was a slide over to the side, too. But again, all those summers spent there, and usually maybe during the day, you know, if we were going to spend a good amount of time over there, we'd go take a break, go over to the snack bar, which is also the side. And I still vividly remember either getting like a uh, cold Snickers bar or uh, an ice cream sandwich. One memory I have is the, the Lipton sweet iced tea in a can. Okay. I'd get that occasionally, and inevitably a yellow jacket or a bee would land on the lip of it because it was so sweet. Huh. They'd be drawn right to it, so you're like going, well, I want that tea, but there's this stinging yeah. critter on top of it. But the funny thing is, years later, in the mid-'90s, we ended up, you know, I was early in the career out of college and stuff, and we ended up playing golf over there one day. You know, it was just a local course yeah, that you could okay. go play. Yeah. And I said, well, the pool's right over this little hill. I said, I'm going to go take a look at it. Sure. I, I went up there, and I go, gosh, it shrunk. Yeah. It was so small compared it. to what I remember. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I was like going, wow, is it 40% of size it used to be? <laughs> it was so amazing what you remember differently. Did you but, used to have at your swimming pools or the school swimming pools, did you used to have that odd little wading pool of chlorinated water that you had to walk through from the changing rooms to the pool to make sure that your feet were clean. Now, <laughs> did you remember those? We had those as kids. I think they're, they're, we had a big problem. With dirty kids? For sure. I mean, you've got, you got to remember, even when I was growing up, not everybody, even at that time, not everybody had indoor a, a bath. And show, no one had a shower. I mean, the showers were unheard of. We had most people had a bath, but not everybody had a bath. And um, there was a there was a problem in our schools with verrucas, which is a little bacteria growth on the toe, I think. And uh, is that where veruca salt from? Yeah, absolutely. Got, I've, I've, I've never heard it yeah. other than her name. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah, from uh, Charlie uh, Charlie the Chocolate Factory. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, yeah, veruca. Uh, it was like a little, it, and when you saw it on the foot, it was like a little, almost like a little blackhead, a pinpoint blackhead, my memory of them. But they were bacteria growth, and to get around that problem, I mean, this was across England, again, all in the 60s and 70s, we would have this heavily chlorinated foot bath that you had to walk through to get from the changing room to the pool. There was no way of avoiding uh -huh. that. But, uh, Clearly. No, I've never even heard of one. It's clearly some kids. So, and the water was freezing cold. That was the thing. And people would sort of try and tip their and, oh, oh, 
you know, <laughs> but it's just four inches of cold water. It was not the end of the world. But still, I do remember some kids would try their very hardest to jump over it. It was probably six foot long. Anything to avoid going in that foot bath and uh, having your feet cleaned, yeah. Well, I mean, you see, I think it, I just don't remember it being at that time. But of course, I've seen it much more through the years. You know, please shower before entering pool, and there'll yeah, be a little shower. Yeah. yeah. In, in Leesburg, when we lived in Florida, I think I only went to it one time with the municipal pool at the at the community center. You know, I went with a friend for something, and to go to that one, you had to go through a little maze of pipes that were spraying water so you could, horizontally. Yeah, right. 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 So it would shower you before you could get inside the gate to you had to like throw your towel or whatever over the fence and let it land dry and then you had to run through that so they they had their way of making sure that you got uh, yeah. soaked before you went in I've, yeah it's this always happens when you and i sit down to record these podcasts but i had completely forgotten about the the anti-veruca foot bath that we used to have in the swimming pool but again I remember my knowledge of all swimming pools of that time, they were everywhere, everywhere. And in Loughborough, the, the closest town to where I um, grew up, there used to be a town swimming pool, but it was, it was known as the bathhouse. The bathhouse used to have maybe 20 bathtubs in there. And folks that didn't have a bathroom at home they would just have the outdoor facilities, you know, the little shed out, out the back of the yeah. garden. Um, to take a bath, they would go and visit the bathhouse, and they would take a bath in the bathhouse, and then they would wash off in clean water, and only then would they be allowed to go to the swimming pool. At that time, you see, in the 60s, we were only just getting over the real awful terraced houses of that were built for the workers of the mills, for example, in the north and the factories around Birmingham and Coventry, they were quite literally two up, two down houses and they didn't have a bathroom at all. They had a steel bath, that, a bathtub, a very small bathtub that was hung on the wall in the kitchen. Yeah. And um, even the miners, I mean, even the miners, most especially the miners, certainly around where I grew up in Colville, Leicester, Nottingham, Loughborough, and up into the north, Oldham, Lancashire, anywhere around there, anywhere there was a mine. Um, the miners, of course, they had no washing facilities when they left the pits, left the mines, and they would come home absolutely covered in you know black soot from the um, from the mines, and and they would the, the the miners when they returned home, the man of the house would come home, and his wife would heat water up on the stove, a jug of hot water, and Dad, it didn't happen to me, but I've seen other my friends would do this, Dad would sit in the bathtub, and then Mum would just slosh water over his head to clean him yeah. every single day. There was nothing else. There was nothing else. And not okay. too awful different from Pioneer days. Exactly the same, exactly the same. But I kind of just caught the tail end of that, being born in 62. And then there was this big housing reform movement in England to make sure facilities were better to cut down. And again, we've chatted about this before. One of the reasons for uh, the manor house, uh, when it ceased to be a private house, was when kids were suffering with 
disease or typhoid or whatever it would be or after operation surgeries and the, and the chance of picking up infection in the hospitals was so high, kids would come to that manor house to recover. It was a convalescent home run yep. by the government. Yeah, but it, so I just remember all that was kind of just coming to its close as I was becoming aware of it. But I don't know how we got onto that from summer vacations, but we always. <laughs> In case they haven't noticed, we tend to go off on tangents. <laughs> yes, we do. Well, did anything like from the time that school let out until school started? Did did your parents? do anything different i think you meant did you always take your trip down to see auntie phil during the summer or? uh well auntie phil, auntie phil ran the pub in derbyshire so that wasn't very far away i mean that was literally a 30 minute drive and we'd be at um okay we'd be at my auntie's and which the was pub. the long trip that you would it take was down to my other auntie other auntie, auntie win down in cornwall gotcha so gotcha. that was yes yeah, so that was for me that would be our annual 99 times out of 100 that would be our destination for summer vacation because Staying with relatives, obviously, is more affordable than staying anywhere else. I get that. Believe me, I, you know, we're all on we're all on a very tight constraints of budget. Although I must say, you know, whenever we have these long conversations, and I enjoy talking about them, I, was, I probably inadvertently give the impression that my childhood was the most austere, penniless condition, almost. Almost like uh, you know, some Dickensian setting. It wasn't at all. It wasn't like that. We had. All of my cohorts, my school friends and, and, and I and our family, we always just seemed to have enough money to get through to the next payday. But we had all that we needed. I can't say we had all that we wanted, but we had all that we needed. And again, we had, we had funds left over to go on a, some sort of summer vacation and we always had presents at birthdays and Christmas. But um, everyone back then, in my group, they, we were all, my, the parents were always paid weekly. I was paid weekly when I started as an apprentice. And, and so, yes, there's no question that uh, the family always had uh, infinitely more money on Friday on payday than ever they did on Thursday afternoon because everything was gone by then. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. some of the greatest bits of fun are free. So, no, I, yeah, we talked about this many times, haven't we, on the air and off the air, but money. Money most definitely does not buy you happiness. It just simply doesn't. You're right. The best memories in life come from times times of hardship. Frankly, I think that's that's pretty true, isn't it? I think it's that time when oh, can you remember when we hardly had anything in the in the pantry, and then Auntie Phil arrived and. We invited her into dinner, and we hardly had anything, and we still managed to make a party out of it. And yeah, they're, they're the things. That, That's the memories. They're the memories that, that you want. Yeah, there's no question. Yeah, money. Yeah, I mean, I I spent ten years pretty much working in a world of Formula One, which is just submerged in crazy amounts of money, and uh, a lot of the drivers, of course, are multi multi millionaires, and uh, I'm not sure many many of those folks were happy really again and I, when I think back to my time in France sitting around the dinner table with Monsieur Madame Fauconnet who again just like my parents had enough money to get from week to week they had fun every day yeah yeah well, it's like, I mean, I look back in, in you know, my career and I, those, those first days working with people that I went to, to college with you know, we we're all starting salaries and stuff like that. Yeah. And sure, we paid our bills and all that, but gosh, we were always doing something fun. Yeah. You know, you're young and fancy free, you know, so it's a lot of it, you know. 
Yeah, absolutely. What you you came out with a wonderful phrase when we talked about this before you, about living living with not very much and having a great time. What was that phrase you described? It um, being paid like a pauper but living like a king or something. I remember you saying something like maybe that. something like, like that. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's exactly right. I think that's a great that's a great way of looking at life. Yeah, of course you need enough money to just pay the bills and put food on the table every day and take the worries away from life. But I've never understood, believe me, I'm never going to be in this position. To, I've never understood the need or the desire for celebrities with a lot of money to say that they have 15 houses. Well, where's home? Yeah. Or I've got a collection of 150 cars. Well, I mean, if that's what you want to do, I absolutely get that. You're free to do whatever you want with your money. But how many of those 150 cars do you want to drive? You yeah. know, and it's that, it's that sort of thing to me. It's, I would rather just have somewhere to call home and friends, a few friends that are genuinely worth the name friend. And I think that makes a big difference in life. Beyond that, you don't need much. No. Well, I think it, I can't say who this was attributed to, but it's always stuck with me. There was some, uh, somebody famously said, I think it was a, like a multi-billionaire or something, said, there's only so much steak you can eat in a day. <laughs> you know, it's like there's only so much that you can enjoy and do with what you have. Yes. You know, so I like that's a good point, too. It, it, it really is. This idea of the advantages of having, again, this is never going to happen to me. Perhaps it'll happen to you, most certainly won't happen to me. Having a private jet. I can see the advantage of thinking, please get me away from that airport because I don't like flying, as we've talked about before. But if you had to get from A to B, the idea of jumping on a jet, gone. You know, I get that. But um, I don't need to <laughs> I don't need to own a jet. I don't need to do that. You're right. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of things are going to happen before I have that worry. <laughs> A number of things, are, a number of cogs are going to have to perfectly mesh before that's yeah. going to be an issue. Yeah. But. Well, I, I, this thing about you know, 10 or 15 homes around the world has always been a complete baffle to me. Like, which one of those is, where do you want to live? Where do you really want to be? Do you have staff in all of those homes? Do the staff that are taking care of those homes, do they really know who you are? Do they really care about you? And I don't think so, really. I don't get that. Mind you, if I was in that position, I'd probably think about it completely differently. <laughs> of course, of course, yes. Well, being a billionaire, of course, I need 15 homes around the world and a private jet. I, as I will never be in that position, it's not going to be a problem for me to worry about. Well, I hope we'll, we'll find our simple pleasures this coming summer then. Oh, are you saying we're up, we're up on time? We is are that, kind of ra- getting for wrap-up time. Yes, yeah, so I'm just yeah, reading so. between the lines what you just said there. Yes, well, we better think... Bit like a summer vacation, that's soon, Wayne. Well, good, I'm glad. Yeah. Goodbye, enjoy your time out there. Yeah, bye for now. Well, good, that went well.